There's certain people are born with a certain spirit. And when you tap into your own spirit, you build resiliency. And that comes very differently. Some people, they have a fighter spirit. And when they activate that, they just fight through in life and they make it. And other have a more peaceful, open heart kind of a spirit. So I was more of that type. I was born with a smile on my face. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very special guest today and a very interesting thing happened when I was on a banner last month. No, actually this month at an event of the Global Woman Club uh, New York. Uh, my friend, one of my very, very good friends here, my friend Rima said to me, Elizabeth, this woman on the banner at the Global Woman Club is my cousin. And I said, what? <laughs> you know, I said, well, what is this now? Anyway, this is in, we're going to talk about, I want to talk to you about that. She is the creator of Madison Park Psychology Services. She has received many awards. She's a best-selling author. She is a fantastic public speaker. She grew up in Paris. We'll talk about that as well. And she is an amazing lady. And I'm very grateful that she is on Most Memorable Journeys today. Welcome, Dr. Yasmin Saad. Oh, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for having me. It was so much fun when I saw your text telling me about Rima and everything. It was great. I love yes, It's a very time. small world, isn't it? Yes, yes. Very so small. tell me about that, because Rima's parents are Lebanese and your parents are Lebanese, right? So they were very good friends. And somehow you ended up in Paris. Rima ended up in Cyprus. Then you moved to New York. Or how How am I right? Yes, that's correct. So, you know, a lot of Lebanese people had to flee because of the war. So uh, Rima's parents and my parents were very good friends and relatives. And so, uh, but mm, we stayed in Lebanon for the first five years of my life. I was born with the war. So I experienced a lot. We lived in Greece. We lived in Jordan. We we circled around there like most Lebanese did uh, until the war stopped or so we thought. And then after five years of the war, stopped going, stopped going, stopped going. My mom had enough and went to visit my uncle in Paris for vacation, a vacation that was supposed just to be a few weeks. And that lasted for me 23 years. So so my mom, my mom, she's been through a lot, you know, with the war, the earthquakes. I've been through quite a bit. So when she arrived in Paris, she was like, okay, we're not leaving anymore amazing. You know, I came to Cyprus many years ago. I was here the first time in 1982. And uh, it was the time, especially 83, when Beirut airport was closed because it had been bombed by the Israeli army. And Middle East Airlines was operating out of Larnaca Airport and people came from Junior by by boat, by ferry, and they brought their cars. I have seen uh, Lebanon. I haven't been here ever since then, but I've come and gone and I followed it. And the one thing that I have learned is I think the Lebanese are the most resilient people in the world. They are so resilient. I I am impressed because, you know, I'm Lebanese, but I grew up outside of Lebanon and I'm so part of my family who stayed, who lived through it. I mean, I'm so impressed. You know, I'm a psychologist, but we all have to learn from them. 
Yes, you've got the gene though, because <laughs> so I, get I want to talk to you about many things and I want to talk to you about travel, but I want to talk about resilience because you are a psychologist. What what makes a person resilient? Ooh, I think the spirit, the spirit and what you were raised with, you know, there's certain people are born with a certain spirit. And when you tap into your own spirit, you build resiliency. And that comes very differently. Some people, they have a fighter spirit. And when they activate that, they just fight through in life and they make it. And other have a more peaceful, open heart kind of a spirit. So I was more of that type. I was born with a smile on my face and my mom would say I would melt everything around. And so I think for me, that's how I sail through because I've been through earthquake, you know, bombs, you know, everything, but somehow it didn't leave an imprint. That's not what I remember. I remember connection. I remember worrying for family members. I remember things like that. But so what makes resiliency? I think it's your unique spirit and tapping into it. When you have that direct connection, you have resiliency. And that's that's a different spirit for every person because everyone is unique. However, it can be learned a little bit. I mean, when you when you understand that you are in charge of your life, when you understand that you have to take responsibility for your decisions, I think that that's a, that's that's mindset in a way, isn't it? Yes. So there, for me, there's different levels. So absolutely, there are things there. There's a lot of things you can activate: mindset, ways of thinking, effort, discipline. There's a way of being in the world that you can cultivate that. Brings brings resiliency. But if you only operate at that level, that level is in a level of effort. And so I more tend to bring people to more something ingrained that is innate, that you are um, the secret ingredient. You have everything within you to carry your life. So if you tap into that, it's effortless. Resiliency is effortless. Now, if you don't have that, or you want to add to that, then you have mindset and you have question, you know, how is this for me? And what can I do with this? And what do I want to do for my life? And then you have the mindset piece and you can rewire your brain, retrain your brain. And there's a lot of things that you can do. So resiliency come in different shapes and form, depending how you're thinking about it. There's a lot of wisdom here to the people who are listening and you can listen to her on YouTube. She has a YouTube channel and she gives a lot of very, very good information. And uh, I'm not sure, did I introduce you as Dr. Yasmin? She, you have a PhD. You have. If I didn't, I apologize, but I think I did. You studied in Paris. You grew up, you, you left Lebanon when you were young and you studied in Paris. But now you've been in New York for quite a long time. Do you feel... What what are you? Are you Lebanese? Are you French? Are you American? What are you? That's a great question. Uh, I would answer you differently at different time of my life. When I moved to the state, I would say I'm a European Lebanese. Now that I've been here for more than 23 years, I think I'm an international Lebanese. I, Lebanese is still at the core of me, but um, I'm European American. I'm from the world and I've discover that who I am is really diversity. Like my name was given to me, you know, in the war from my mom. She was worried that it will hand, go in the wrong hands. So she chose Yasmin because it went everywhere. So who I am 
is a woman from the world. And now in the US, people come to see me and they think, oh, I want a therapist like you, Muslim, Catholic, Christian. I want a Pakistani, Indian therapist, Lebanese therapist like you, Middle Eastern, Latino, Greek. So I am, people think I'm from all over the world. They come to me thinking that I'm from their country. And so, uh, so I very much relate to that. Very That's much. beautiful. And that is, but, but however, the Lebanese part, the, the one thing that I adore in this part of the world, I'm from Switzerland and uh, we are a little different when it comes to that, but I've been here for so, and what I adore about the Middle East is the generosity, the hospitality, the food, the family connections, you know, it's, it's something that you cannot see in, in other places. And, um, I love it. And, you know, it's a part of the world that is so misunderstood and so wrongly, um, explained to many people. I mean, if you mentioned the word Middle East in many places, you know, all sorts of things come up. For me, it's pure beauty. I love Jordan. I love Lebanon. I love Syria. But it's sad. I mean, there's a lot of history that has gone through these places, which, yeah, which make it a sad place in 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 some parts. Well, I think, you know, the bond that people have, what you described, the warmth, is what helps them build adversity. Because it's thanks to this bond, this support, the friendship, the depth of connection in some ways that they have built resiliency at, at the same time, there's, there's a lot of superficiality in connection sometimes in, in those culture, but in general, it's very warm, very inviting, and that warms the heart. And when you go through hard times, you know, that's what's so helpful. So it's belonging in a way, isn't it? Because we we lived in caves and we were a tribe. And when you were excluded, you died in in uh, at the beginning of times. And uh, belonging is a very important part of a human. So important, and that's why for me in my journey, you know, having been born in Lebanon, growing up in Paris, I never belonged because I was more European than the Lebanese. But uh, but for my French friends. I was so Lebanese. <laughs> so everywhere I was, I was the other side. People saw the other side. And it took me some time. And I think for me, it's only when I moved to New York that I was able to fully belong uh, because of the cosmopolitan feel of New York, because I felt like this is where I belong because everywhere, everybody's from somewhere else in New York. Yeah, that is the fascination, isn't it? It's a melting pot and there are so many different people and it doesn't really matter where you're from. It really, it just swallows you up. I think um, I love everything. <laughs> I always have to say I love New York and I love going to New York and just that, you know, looking around and hearing all different languages and you never, you belong. I think you can choose, you either belong or you don't. That's right. That's right. And most people have this reaction to New York. They love it or they hate it. You either feel yes or no. It's it's pretty categoric usually. Yeah, there is not really much in between there, is there? Yeah, I have I've noticed that. So let's talk a little bit. It's a travel podcast, most memorable journeys, but life is a journey, and that's why I love to talk about life as well. But when was Yasmin sad the first time on a plane? Ooh. Seven days old. 
<laughs> 17 years old, actually. Yes, 17 days old. My mom tells the story. Because I was born with the war, I was literally, you know, I was born through the bombs. I think our first plane trip was to Greece. We went to Greece to escape for a month. And my father had a job that, you know, traveled in the Middle East. So we were there. And then after that, my mom described I traveled all the time. I think one year she said I've been to 17 places in a year, 17 school. Of course, it was the three same schools, but it was going. So, yes, I've been a traveler since birth and I love traveling and I love the experience of it. I love what it does to you. And I have a daughter now who loves traveling and a husband who loves traveling. So we love that. But I'm. I'm a big traveler since birth. Traveling makes you humble and it makes you understand how small we are. It, it yeah, it's, it opens so many perspectives and it, it changes you. It's like, I, I think it's like therapy, you know, like now they have forced bathing in, in Japan. Traveling is the same. I recently went to Costa Rica. I felt so renewed by the forest, by the... The birds singing and everything, like it's just, it's singing to my soul for me. I love it. Do you have a favorite place or a favorite part of the world? So for me, the favorite place in the world is is one that's dear to my heart. Um, so because my family, you know, emigrated from different places, um, they rebuilt something that was dear to them, a hotel in salsa Spain, where every summer I grow I grew up with my cousin, with everywhere. So my favorite place is in the south of Spain for me. It's in Marbella because it's where my whole family gets together from all over the world since I'm 12. And then my daughter now has that. And so that's my favorite place because I feel I feel home for someone like me who has lived in many countries, adjusted. This is home. So that's why it's so special. So do you go there every summer? Every summer. Every wow. summer. Wow, well, that's the, I would have never thought that because, you know, I thought, where does she go? She goes to Paris and she goes to Lebanon, to the south of Spain. That's amazing. Every and again, I mean, it, it's it's whatever is in the south, the people are open and, and you can stay up late in the night and it's, it's, it's a lot of life. So it, it obviously suits you. Yes. For me, Spain is a relaxed atmosphere, is laughter, seeing families in restaurants with little kids out laughing. They're always laughing. And like when you're in New York, people are honking. When you're in Paris, they're stressing, and complaining. But when you go to Spain, they're laughing. They walk around laughing and they're talking and they're full of life and they're so vibrant. So they're something very alive and very relaxed. Yeah, I think because I live in Cyprus, so Cyprus has a similar mentality. I used to have a friend. I used to work with a French girl and she always used to say, whatever is south of Lyon, they are all the same. You know, it's where they are. It's like the The way she said it, it was very funny. And I think, yeah, the south does this to you because... The thing is that it's usually in the summer, it's very hot and it slows you down. You can't, even if you wanted to, you can't do things so fast. Yes. And I I think it's very healthy. You know, in Spain, they have siesta time, you know, where the middle of the day is stopped for siesta and it 
it's very in line with our biological system. After eating, you want to digest the food. You don't want too much activity. You want to let your body go through the heat, go through the digestion to get back to being awakened by five. So it, it's very, very healthy. While here in the West, you know, we work through everything. We don't even have a lunch break and we arrive at five and we're on our knees. So, you know, there, there's, there's, there's some precious wisdom there. There is. It's interesting. Humans, I mean, you that's that's your field. You're you're a psychologist. You studied humans. Um, humans are they have fascinated me always because when I was young, I was a tour guide and I'm a coach and all this. What makes a human what's happiness for you? What makes a human happy? Of course, it, it, there is no universal uh, uh, um, ingredient, but first, how do how how do we get happy or happier? I think everyone is happy when they live through their purpose or something they value. So for example, and you usually get it the reverse, like you usually do things you like, and then you walk yourself backwards to realizing what is it in those things you like that makes you happy. And then you realize who you are. So for me, happiness is living a life that is so aligned to me. So the way I discover it is is very different. So initially was traveling. Traveling always makes me happy. So then I looked, well, what is it about traveling that makes me happy? And uh, for me, it was expansion of awareness. And the other thing that makes me happy is, is conversation with people about human being. Same, expansion of awareness. So suddenly I realized expansion, whenever I'm engaged in expansion of awareness, I'm so happy. I can spend hours. Time flies because that's core to me. So I think what makes people happy is something that is core to you that you walk yourself backwards to figure out. Um, and that's why I love speaking on stage too. I discovered that recently. I had no idea I would love speaking on stage, but I could do it in a heartbeat. I, if you call me tomorrow, I'm here. I love it because I feel I'm helping people expand their awareness. And by doing that, I'm expanding my awareness, how people respond from that stage, how it's fascinating. It's a new experience. So that's what I think makes people happy is when you do things that you enjoy so much, and then you realize what is the core of you. And if you engage always in those core themes, activity values, you realize you'll always, you'll always be happy. And of course, when you don't engage in them, life is a bit more dull. It's a bit less exciting, less happy. Yeah. And uh, lots of people don't have the courage to um to be happy, to make themselves happy. They do something. I know people who have done a job all their lives, which they didn't like, but because of maybe family circumstances or because they started off with it and they didn't have the courage to change it, they did it. And it's not good. It doesn't, you know, it, it, I often see, like sometimes I see people who get ill and I think, mm, you know, maybe they're, what they've done all their life has something to do with it. Absolutely. I mean, I think as a society, unfortunately, a lot of parents raise their children to squash their passion. There's a there's an idea that following your heart is dangerous. It will be a reckless life. It will be dangerous. So a lot of people go through safety. So they choose a job that will bring safety, but is not at all in line with what they like. So they have the safety, but 
somehow they carry underneath the idea that following desire, following heart is dangerous. And until they have that, then they follow a path of safety, which is even more dangerous because it's a bit deadly. Just it's safe. It's not exciting. It doesn't make your heart beat. But you know, that's their path. Yeah, I always say that the comfort zone is the place where the dreams go to die. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now there's a place of having both. You can have safety in your zone of talent, in your zone of genius. You can have safety, but most people have safety in just doing the responsible thing, the right thing, and all morality, all responsibility, all the safety out of it kills dreams, kills kills the soul, kills the heart, kills passion. Yeah, it's so true. And it's especially you have a child. I have children. Um, I told my kids that they should figure it out by the age of 30 and they should really follow their heart and follow their dreams. And they are in the middle of doing that. And let's just hope for the best. Yes, absolutely. I would recommend doing it earlier for your listeners, like to, to when, when the children are small, you want to, you want to reflect to them what they like and who they are and like open so many possibility, but you have to see it. You, you have to have that internally to give it. So it all starts with us, you know, and us working on our thoughts and belief and emotion and expansion. Yes. And worrying less about the neighbors and uh, whoever else we have to report to or we feel like we have to report to until it's, you know, it's so unimportant because it's our life and we really should be allowed to do whatever we want with it. That's absolutely right. But I usually look at it a bit differently. When people worry about their neighbors, they're more worried about the right thing. Uh, they're worried about people think, but what people think is is your own projection in some ways. So it's more that what's valuable to this person is doing the right. So it's more a quest for, okay, what is right? Let's figure out is right what your mind says, is right what your heart says, and let's discover the right. So every every worry carry within it a secret hidden wisdom. And so when people worry about their neighbors, it's not about the neighbors. It's something about them is looking for a guide, is looking for something. And so now it's to take the work inside. And once you do that, then you find the wisdom and then you find your own right in line with who you are. That's very wise. Lots of wisdom here. And, uh, like I, we, we go deep and then we go, now I want to go back to traveling again. Do you travel in the US? Yes, I do. So so my idea is, I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. Like right now I'm in New York. My daughter loves her school. So I'm going to take full advantage of everything around here because I'm I'm thinking I'll go back to Europe maybe, or we don't know where I will be. Maybe I'll be in Asia. We don't know. So I want to take full advantage to where I am. So um, so I travel you know, in the Caribbean. I travel South America. I travel quite a bit and I traveled, you know, West Coast and Hawaii and, you know, Fiji Island and all the nice, nice places. I tried as much and I, I actually I did it very strategically before my daughter was born. I took the big trips, you know, that would be hard when you have a newborn and a young child. 
And I left the the friendly trips for when I had my daughter. And then they don't like to fly sometimes at some at a certain age. Sometimes suddenly they get fed up. Yeah, it 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 varies widely. My daughter so far so good. It's been 10 years. She I can take her on an airplane in two seconds. But if you give her childhood friends, school friends, traveling, well, of course the friendship at this age is so important. So yeah, and it's gonna get more and more because once they are teenagers, they you know spend time with their friends. But my kids, we traveled a lot. We traveled all over the place every summer, every year. We went to Switzerland every year and they are really, really global citizens. And I love that. I want That's what I wanted them to be. I wanted them to feel comfortable wherever they go. And I think that's what global citizens do. It doesn't matter where you are from and it doesn't matter where the people you speak to are from because your commonness is, 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 is because we're all one at the end of the day. We are connected. And uh, when you look down from a plane on, on the earth, there are no borders. The borders are made by man, by, by you know, by people. So agreed. So agreed. And we all have the same wisdom running through us. We all have rituals, healing ritual, dancing ritual, singing, like we, as human being, every country has like the unique secret ingredient to bring health and happiness. And it's so beautiful. And you can so connect that at the root, we're all the same. We operate the same way. Our body mind connection is the same. We all seek similar things and we all can follow a similar recipe for happiness. Yeah. That's something, okay, you are not a medical doctor, you are a psychologist, but I often believe that, you know, we should maybe stick a little more to holistic medicine to, to, um, to, to, we should combine it. I am not one of those people who is completely against chemicals, you know, we need them. There are times when, when it's important, but I think there is always a pill and I think it's always, it's much easier to just open a packet of pills than to you know, to, to think, where does this headache come from? What's your take on uh, on on medicine or combining medicine? Yes. So, I mean, you might not know this about me, but I've studied for 10 years under a grand master of traditional Chinese medicine. So I know a lot about the body and the mind connection. And I've been a psychologist now in the US alone for 15 years. So I know all the Western ways of supplemented psychology with Western medicine. And I know all the Eastern ways now. So um, I I believe it's all about tailoring because I, I fundamentally believe that healing is about a journey, is a journey of a person. Some people, their journey is through Western medicine and others through Eastern. So I more look at where is the person, where's their mind, where are they, and how can we stretch them a little bit to provide the healing? So there's some people I never even mentioned my holistic background, Eastern, uh, and others, um, it's right on. So I think everything should be tailored. Mm-hmm. I have a funny story that my grandmaster usually mentioned, which is he had a patient who was going from doctor to doctor, Western medicine doctor. And my grandmaster was like, why do you continue to do this? It's not helpful to you until his patient met the love of her life in the waiting room of a doctor. So the idea is you think you're going for healing, you think for going, but you don't know what you're going to get. And so who are we to say, like, it would have been horrible to tell this person, no, medicine's not for you, Western medicine. So 
I'm very respectful of people's choices because it might have other purpose and other benefits. So I'm just here to tell them what I think based on what I see. And then the path they take is fully for their path. And I trust that everybody deep inside knows and is following what's good for them. Yeah, that's very beautiful. And, um, but I'm sure you can, even though they know, having somebody like you guide them makes it even easier. Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is teenagers, young people, because I think if, I don't know what it is, whether it's COVID or social, I guess it's a combination of many things, but I know that there is a lot more depression in teenage years. The suicide rate has gone up. What can we do? People who are listening to us who have teenagers, what can we do to help them? What is a good thing to do for the teenager? I think the challenge as a society right now is bad, potential bad is happening for a good to happen. And it's always like that. We go in cycles. So there's an increase in mental health issue in every single person and definitely teenager because now social media and everything. So there's a higher need for people to know how to deal with their emotion, how to deal with their thoughts. And so the best thing that mothers and parents can do for their children is to First, start with themselves. How are you dealing with, have you done any work uh, with your negative thoughts, negative emotion? Where are you with it? Um, because if you have done some work, you can help your child. If you haven't done some work, then you can also help your child see a specialist. But the thing that all children are going to need is an ability to deal with negative thoughts and emotion. And that's why, you know, I made it my mission. My mission is to change people's relationship to negative thoughts and emotion. Because right now, unfortunately, the options are limited. The options are either ignore them. They're not true. They're not true. Your mind is telling you nonsense. The mind is a saboteur, like all this trend going that. Or just replace them with positive. Just replace them with a different statement. Or let it pass like a cloud, just let it pass. And those are not strong enough option, in my opinion, because nobody's asking, why, why am I getting this thought? What is that thought about? A thought is an energy frequency coming you know, for you, for a reason, and carries so much wisdom. And so if you were to see a specialist or if your child were to see a specialist who can decode their thoughts, wisdom will be held. A little bit like the example I gave before about the concern with the neighbor. Every thought carry what you need for your future. So children who are depressed, who thinks they're not good enough, there's so much wisdom there. First, we know that there's something they're craving they don't have. And we have to look when somebody thinks they're not good enough, they cannot think that if they don't believe it to be true somewhere. So it might not be true in the world. People might not think that, but for that teenager, there's something true to it. So the idea is, well, what is true? Well, maybe I'm socially awkward. Maybe I want to perform better. 
And so it's more understanding that the way that teenager's mind is talking is through kind of a kick in the butt, focusing on the missing, focusing on the negative to motivate, to get somewhere. And as we know, a kick, a kick, you know, that we try to give ourselves a kick in the butt, but a kick in the butt ends up being a kick in the ground. So if we could give that wisdom to that teenager, listen, I understand you want more, you want better. Let's get you there. But the way you're going about it, you're going to get worse because that's not how we get there. And then we help them. So in those thoughts, the wisdom is there, the obstacle is there, the path, the destination. So decoding people's thoughts in those ways, it's a life-changing opportunity rather than a teenager thinking I'm not good enough, believing it, spiraling it, the parents feeling totally helpless, bringing them to a psychologist who diagnoses depressed, gives them medication. Nothing happens there. There's, the wisdom is so lost. So I think that's that's the challenge for Amazing. our next generation. Amazing. Do you believe that um, emotional intelligence should be taught at school? Absolutely. But I believe that emotional intelligence should be uh, not hindered because people are born emotionally intelligent. It's just that parents sometimes squash that. They they like by their worries, like a child will naturally have instinct and will do certain things and parents will be worried and will squash that. No, 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 absolutely not. No, no. And then so the child loses emotional intelligence and then to bring it back in school is great, but technically we have to teach parents how to not squash a child in emotional intelligence and help them. And that requires trust, faith for people, for all adults to have a muscle for adversity because it's very scary. You're raising a child, you don't know the way, you're trying to do your best. And unfortunately, you're going to bring a lot of your own value, your own worries to that child. And that will squash some of the emotional intelligence. Yeah, I think listening is another thing that is so important. You know, we we tend not to take the time to listen. And I think I have once read somewhere, I didn't invent it, but I read it. I read, if you listen to your children when they are small, they will come and talk to you when they are bigger. But if you don't. Yeah, I think that's a, that is really, that's a good one. It's a really, really, that, it's quite deep and it's important because, you know, we just need to take the time, take the time to listen. Absolutely. I think there's, there's two things about that. As parents, we think we have, we know more, we live life more. So we have to educate, we have to mold, we have to shape when actually children are innate. They have, they understand so much faster than we do. If we were just, tune into them to what they see, how they see, what they understand, and just reflect that to them will be so enriched. But, you know, we grew up as adults and now we are a fearful society. So we're all into action. We're all into doing, acting, making sure nothing goes wrong. So that's true, the power of listening. We can learn a lot from children. And another thing that I also always, you know, children, nobody is born a racist. Children play with all, every child. They don't look at the color or, 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 or any shape or anything. And then, you know, we hear stuff and we get conditioned and then things changed, change. I, I'm just looking at the time. We're nearly done. We've had 
very well. You have we have shared a lot of wisdom. You have shared a lot of wisdom, but um, I want to talk about the future. What's next on the travel agenda? Oh, the, the summer is coming, so there's a big travel. So you know, I I always go to Europe. So I'm gonna go to Paris. I'm gonna go. Uh, to Spain. And as you know, we have the summit in London with Deepak Chopra. So uh, those are at least my three travel. Usually in the summer, I, I go back to those main places and then I add a travel somewhere. This year, I think I'm just going to rest and enjoy and not, not add another experience. I'm going to just sit and enjoy what I already know. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to seeing you in London at the Global Women's Summit. However, since you have your cousin Rima here on my island in the sun, and you know me now, I think it's time for a trip to Cyprus in the near future. I would love to. Absolutely. I would love to. We should definitely plan it. You know, for me, Cyprus is so easy because I am I will go to Lebanon and Cyprus, Lebanon are so, so close to each other. Absolutely. 20 Absolutely. minutes. You don't even have the time. The only person who I've ever watched buy duty free on a flight to Beirut is my husband. He managed to buy <laughs> he managed to buy a pair of sunglasses in those 20 minutes. But generally, you just take off and you land. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I can speak to you forever. It's like, it's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.